Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know it is my utmost pleasure to bring you people that are going to help you with your job search, that are going to enlighten your path, and today is no different. So let me welcome Richard Brooke, ontological coach and author of The Four-Year Career and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire. We're going to talk about this. Richard is passionate about encouraging people to find empowerment to take the actions aligned with their goals. His methods are rooted in finding a path to authenticity, one of my favorite words, the greatest source of personal power and freedom. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome, Casey. It's a great honor to be here. Thank you. I know, I know. I was a little nervous at first because we had to reschedule and I was like, he changed his mind. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just out on the tractor. So I had to, I had to stay reminded, you know, to come in the house and get all dressed up for a broadcast (laughs) because I went from mowing weeds to to this. Yes. Got to be versatile. Absolutely. And I understand that you are not in Hawaii today, that you're at your ranch in California. So um, what, what, what do you ranch there? Well, I, I ranch the views, oh. <laughs> but that's why I come here. Uh, solitude and the views. It is a cattle ranch left over from my great, great great-grandfather or something like that so yeah there's um beef cattle on it love it are they wagyu no they're not we don't (laughs) massage them (laughs) i hear it's supposed to taste really good when they get massaged though (laughs) it does yeah (laughs) <laughs> so besides talking about cattle ranches, I love to start the show to kind of let our audience know how you and I got connected because I want each time that we have a show for them to be thinking about different ways that they can make those connections and build their network. So do you remember how we got connected? I believe it's David Metzler. Yeah, his group for sure. So Todd Armstrong. Yep. yep. He has Yeah, been- that's how amazing at getting me top-notch guests like yourself so and i really you know appreciate you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and talk about your book with us today but before we get busy so on your book your name is richard bliss brook so where does the bliss come from well it's actually my middle name it's my legal middle name yeah it is um it is my, um, actually the ranching family um, immigrated to California in the mid 1800s and they're the Blisses. And that's my grandmother's maiden name on my father's side. I love that. I really thought you just threw that in there because you're teaching people how to live, live blissful lives. <laughs> 
You know, if your audience can tolerate it, uh, Casey, I'll tell you a funny story about using it. So my entire life, I never used my middle name. I thought it just was a little pompous, I guess, to have three names and and then, you know, bliss didn't really fit my personality. And but when the Internet launched and, you know, everything started going online and people were Googling uh, me, they would end up not with me, but they would end up on the page of the number one porn star in the world. This is like 20 years ago. That was a bad time to take a whose, na- <laughs> <laughs> whose name is Brooke Richards. So after a few people said, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? I acquiesced. I had marketing people all the time telling me, hey, you need to use your middle name, use your middle name. And so I acquiesced and I added it and it helped because it took about a year to get the brand, you know, penetrated, but it it kept people from signing up for something other than what I was offering. <laughs> getting in trouble at work, you know, getting their locked <laughs> down. Well, and I love that. <laughs> I was not expecting that story. Um, but that was I got great. a lot of Thank stories. <laughs> we should just tell stories the whole time. You know, this can be fun. Yeah, sure. um, but, and I did want to say, I want to show the audience that are watching us rather than just listening, this amazing hat with bliss on it that you sent me along with the book, which I thought was amazing. And before we dive into the book, and I definitely want to talk about it, but I just want to talk about, and I brought mine with me that you sent to me. Although you didn't autograph it. You know, I, I, I feel horrible about that. But for me to take a book to the post office on the island of Lanai takes about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. And it's town is, you know, like 40 minutes away. And then there's a little tiny post office and it's only open like six hours a day and there's always a line. So I have all these excuses why I don't personally sign and send a book. It's labor intensive on the island of Lanai. Ah, oh, I get it. So is it shipped from a different location? Susie sent that to you from Maui. Oh, okay, you get a pass. All right, so this is the 25th anniversary edition of this book. That's incredible for a book to still be in print that long. It actually has uh, a Guinness World Book of Records. For? If you glance through the first two or three pages and you look at who's read it and who's endorsed it, Mm -hmm. it has the highest number of famous, notable influencers that endorse the book to the ratio of the lowest number of books sold. Nobody's ever had so many famous people endorse a book and sell so few of them. Guinness World Book of Records. Wow, wow. (laughs) Well, and and that's why I brought my book today because I'm not gonna read the quotes, but I did wanna read some of the people that did endorse the book. So you're right, it's very impressive. Like um, Harry Mack, or Harvey Mackey, I can't read the quotes because I'm on my glasses. McKay, Harvey McKay. Harvey McKay, Les Brown, who's one of my favorites, Bob Proctor, another one of my favorites, Brian Tracy, another one of my favorites. 
who else did I? John Elway. Come on, we're in Texas. Sorry. You play for Texas, right? No. Uh, he's football? Am I football at least? Yeah, he is football. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Brock Osweiler's read it. That's, but he's Houston. Or he used to be Houston. <laughs> I was doing, I was really pulling for a long one on John Elway, man. I knew the name, but I couldn't, I thought he was Dallas. But don't laugh at me in there, Trey. Let it go. Let it go, Casey. That's, there's no cheese down that tunnel. <laughs> so, anyway, I, this is, I've been reading the book. I love the exercises that are in it, and it's just really amazing. But so let's just kind of dive into it a little bit. Your book, Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, is all about mastering self motivation. So what is the first step towards finding motivation from inside? Well, let's see. The first step would be to exercise what for many people is a very weak muscle um, by brainstorming with yourself or your spouse or somebody what it is you want. What do you want to have? What do you want to do? And most importantly, the biggest lever is who do you want to be? And those are exercises that they're not mainstream. I know a lot, probably a lot of people that are watching this show have, you know, they have done a couple of those exercises in their life. But is it an exercise that you do, you know, three or four times a year? And when I do seminars on this, all it's agonizing for people, but I'll have them do a list of a hundred things they want to have. And it's exhausting for people because it's kind of like working out when you haven't worked out in years. It, it's just like, I can't, I, I can't think of any more things that I want and to have. And, you know, so most of them give up before they get to a hundred. And then the next exercise is, okay, now you got to write a hundred things you want to do. And then you got to write a hundred things you want to be. And it really does exhaust people because it's not a strong muscle for us to know clearly because we've thought about it a lot and we've rehearsed it over and over and over again. What do we want? What do we want out of life? And so that's the first step and you know it seems kind of academic and it seems superficial and it's it's not really the juicy part of motivation but it's step one okay and how does that like when we write down what we want to have what we want to do who we want to be how how does that relate to motivation connect the dots for me yeah it's uh it's actually why i wrote the book casey because i grew up well, I grew up without any coaching or influence about this subject at all. I grew up on a cattle ranch and we just didn't talk about motivation or, or success or personal development or achievement, or we talked about horses and cattle and grass and the weather. And, um, but when I got in business, the, my first mentors in business taught me a lot of what they knew about success. And, what I was left with in all of that coaching was that desire is motivation. That if you want something bad enough, you'll be motivated to get it. And so all you need to do to be motivated is really think about what it is you want, which is step one. And I 
was very fortunate to be in uh, under the uh, mentorship of a really powerful coach who gave me the distinction between desire and motivation. And he didn't really language that that way, but he he provided a separation of the distinction of the two. Desire, the value of desire is, think of it like a GPS machine. So if you want to travel somewhere, you go to the airport, you want to travel. Well, if you want to be efficient and productive productive in your travel, the first step is you got to know where you want to go, right? You can't walk up to the ticket counter and the agent says, where do you want to go? And your answer is, eh, I'm not really sure. Travel's not going to get expedited with that answer. So you got to be really precise about where you want to go. That locks in the GPS coordinates. And now we can tackle the subject, okay, how are you going to get there? How are you going to produce the energy to get there? And what I was taught early on is if you wanted to go to those coordinates bad enough, that that would give you the energy to get there. And what I realized in business, the first few years I was in business, is I wanted to be successful really, really bad. I would sacrifice anything for it. And I just was a miserable failure year after year. Why? Well, what my mentor, his name is Lou Tice, he's passed away now, but what he offered me the distinction of is wanting to go somewhere, wanting to have something, wanting to do something, even wanting to be something, the only difference that it makes is it gives you direction, but it doesn't give you any energy to get there. It doesn't give you any fuel to get there. We think it does because most of us are kind of under that assumption that if you want something bad enough, that you'll get it. And so, what my mentor Lutai said, well, let's look at the world and let's look at how many people, what percentage of the population, for example, want to be healthy and live a long, prosperous, vital life. And then look at them, <laughs> right? They're not analogy. any closer to being healthy um, or wealthy. Look how many people want to be rich and how many people are rich? Maybe 1%, not even, not even 1%, maybe one tenth of 1%, depending on how you define rich. So what happened to everybody else? They wanted it. Doesn't matter. So what my book is about is what matters. How do you create the fuel, the engine, the energy to do the work? Because to go from point A to point B, point A is where we are now, point B is where you want to go, requires in almost every case a consistent process of almost daily activities. Mm-hmm. For example, if it's business development, so point A is where I am now in business, point B is where I want to go in business probably a lot of business development is required. That probably is a daily exercise. What does it look like for most people? Picking up the phone and calling people, networking, branding, promoting yourself, right? Doing that, but doing it every day. You can't do it whenever you feel like it because you don't feel like it most days. You got to do it every day. And so motivation is the energy that has you be willing to do the work every day. And when you understand self-motivation, how to use it, one of the things that'll rock your world a little bit 
is you'll realize that concepts like discipline and commitment are like crazy words that <laughs> they don't if if you're motivated to do something why do you need to be disciplined if you're motivated to do something why do you need to be committed discipline and commitment are words that are used for people who really want something but they don't want to do the work to do it to get it oh wow so they got to be disciplined or they got to be and i know that'll people will go oh my gosh no you just unraveled my entire life no i must be disciplined i must be committed i wrote a book about commitment and i get it i'm not suggesting they're useless concepts but motivation is far far more useful than discipline or commitment and i think that your analogy about health is Spot on. Like as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I get that now. It makes so much sense about the difference. So talk to me a little bit um, about how self self motivation differs from external motivation, and which is more powerful in your opinion? Well, which is more powerful probably depends on how you define powerful. Which is more prevalent is external motivation which is more uh, sustainable and healthy would be an internal motivation. So the difference between the two is external motivation is when you allow, you actually seek out, maybe you're even addicted to, the only way you're motivated or the primary way that you're motivated is by somebody dangling a carrot in front of you a carrot or a stick. So for example, you know, probably a lot of salespeople watch your broadcast. And so just notice salespeople, notice how you get up for the game. Like you are like in the starting blocks, ready to rock it when the company announces a contest. And for the whole contest period, you're like out of your mind, productive. But when there's no contest, things go a little bit flat. And so that's a, probably the primary example of external motivation is contest. But then there's also recognition. So mm -hmm. if the way you have it put together is you perform like a circus animal for recognition, then the challenge with that kind of external motivation is, is it's always in the hands of someone else. You're not in control of your motivation. Someone else is. And if, you know, salespeople that have been with a company for, you know, maybe five or 10 years, this is how they sort of morph into their relationship with the contest, the incentive contest, maybe even their, their bonuses is, well, wait a minute, last year we were, you know, on the princess cruise for seven days and we were in the Greek Isles. And wait a minute, this year we're only going to the Caribbean and we're only going for five days and we're on carnival wait a minute what so you know when it's when it's all about the contest and salespeople, every year or every time you have a contest it actually has to be a better contest and the way salespeople kind of look at it is it has to be easier and and but the contest is better and recognition you know the challenge with recognition is you can never get enough if that's the way you have it wired. And when somebody else gets recognition, you're envious and it's just, it's just all messy. 
And the last form of external motivation is when you base your motivation on the results that you produce. That's probably the most insidious form of external motivation. And what that looks like is, let's say you're in sales um, and you're calling people and the last three people you called said no, or they ghosted you. They didn't even you know, return your call or they didn't return your message or, right? So notice the energy, notice how every time somebody says no, the energy to talk to the next person drops and drops and drops and drops until you fall into the zone of, I gotta be disciplined and I gotta be committed and I gotta pick up the phone that weighs 500 pounds. And then, you know, notice, it, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, a slippery slope because you're on the phone going, uh, hi, uh, Casey, uh, I don't know if you'd be, right? Nobody wants to buy that. So what is internal motivation? Internal motivation is a process by which you figure out what you want and then you learn through a process to believe that success is inevitable. So there's actually three layers of that. The first layer is that you believe that success is possible. Whatever it is you want to do. When you and I believe that success is possible, we lean in. We take a step. We sign up. We do something. Maybe, you know, we buy the training or we, we do something. But if your belief stays at possible, it does not sustain the kind of activity that will produce a result. The next level of belief is probable. So when you believe success is probable, then you're probably in action on a consistent basis. And that's a pretty good level of belief and a pretty good level of motivation. But what you're looking for, the holy grail, is inevitable. And when, when you have a belief of inevitability, it's a done deal. You and your ambition are one. It may just be a matter of time, but it's a deadlock cinch. So when you speak to somebody that has a what I call a vision of inevitability, they don't speak about their goal as, oh, what I really want to do is make seven figures, or I really want to 10x my business, or I really want to lose 20 pounds, or... I really want to have a better relationship. If you just notice the language, the positioning of the language is the goal is over there. I'm over here. And what's between us is maybe. And when you talk to somebody that has a vision of inevitability, what you hear is a oneness with them and their ambition. They actually identify with whatever the goal is, they can actually sound like a liar in, a, in some cases because they have the posture of already having accomplished it. Can I just interrupt and, you for just a second? Because yeah. what you were saying, all of this, what you're saying resonates so well with me. So one of my sayings that I say to myself, and I totally believe this, everything's always working out for me. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful one. Yeah, and it just, and it comes to me every time I hear it on a meditation or a podcast, I'm like, oh, that was meant for me, whether it was or not, you know, but I always believe everything's working out for me, and I do, and just what you were just saying, I'm working on a project right now, everybody told me I was crazy and it couldn't happen, and I'm like, this close to having it finished, and so I'm just like, yeah, I can do this. I yeah. don't know how I'm going to do it, but well, I'm going to do think it. What, what I think you're actually speaking there to is, the, the secret sauce of self-motivation is, so let's say I have a goal. I'm, maybe I want to, you know, whatever, 10X my business or I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter what the goal is. But I have a goal and in the way, the way most people even, you know, do affirmations is, well, you know, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to achieve that goal, that kind of stuff. And the secret sauce to self-motivation I have found is, to figure out what it is you need to do every day, which could include who you need to be, what kind of state of being you need to be in. So you mentioned early on that I'm an ontological coach, which is a fancy word for mood coach. So how I coach people to achieve their goals is by managing their mood, which is a simplified way of saying their state of being. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have a state of being of uh, envy, well, you're not going to be powerful at all. But if you have a state of being of gratitude, you can be really powerful. And so if who you need to be is somebody who's gracious, somebody who has gratitude, somebody who has courage, somebody who's optimistic, Whatever the state of being is, if that's who you need to be to be successful, and if what you need to do every day is, for example, pick up the phone or eat a certain way or work out with a certain level of intensity and consistency, whatever the business plan is, boil it down to the single daily action, which includes who you need to be every day, and fall in love with that identity. Like be that person. You know, if I said to you, hey, what do you think about walking across the United States of America? That sounds like a daunting task, right? So you might have a goal of walking across the United States of America, but if that's the only way you think about it, it's probably gonna shut you down. You might have, oh, it's possible, but not certainly not probable. And I'm not, I have no idea how I'm gonna do that. So if your orientation is um, where I am now, like point A, point B is way out there, it's difficult to create and sustain the motivation that you need to do the work every day. And what you and I need to do to go from point A to point B is do the work every day. Everything that has any meaning requires that we actually be a person that produces results that deserves the progress that we're gonna make. And so how do you walk across the United States of America? Simple, fall in love with walking. So if who good. you are is a walker, if, if you change your identity from whatever your identity is now around, let's say walking, most people's identity is, I'm, I'm, you know, I walk from the kitchen to the bedroom, to the bathroom, to the car, to the office, but I'm not like a walker, walker. You're a long distance runner, right? Or no, cyclist. Cyclist. 
cyclists. Yeah, so you could ride your bike all the way across the United States of America. Why? Because you love to ride your bike. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's a pretty easy bike ride for you? You know, something that you could do and not get blisters and pull a muscle or wear yourself out so you had to recover. Is that 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles? Uh, probably about 40 or 50 miles. Great, 50 miles, right? So you could just go knock out 50 miles on your bike, no problem. Mm -hmm. Could you do it tomorrow? Maybe not tomorrow because I haven't been on the bike in a while. <laughs> okay, well, let's just let's just say you're on the bike, right? Yep. Let's say it's 20 miles. Okay, Casey. 20 miles. 20 so, miles I could probably do for sure. Yeah, so if you could, whatever it is, let's say 10 miles, right? 10 miles in your sleep, okay? So who you are is a biker who rides 10 miles a day. Now, if you rode 10 miles a day, how long does it take you to ride across the United States of America? You're really not asking me to do math in my head, are you? <laughs> no, but it's 300 days. It's it's 300 days. It's it's like 10 months. Okay, I'll go with your math. 10 months, you're there. If I did my math right, um, you're there. So if that's the way you teach yourself to learn to believe in the inevitability of success, it's it's harder to believe I can ride across the United States of America. It's easy to believe I can ride 10 miles a day. So maybe, you know, what somebody wants to do is triple their income and they're in, you know, they're in business. And so how do you triple your income? Oh my gosh, that's daunting. Hardly anybody's ever done that. I've never done it. How might I ever do that? Well, instead of, instead of making one sales call a day, how about make three sales calls a day? Could you make three sales calls? and do it every day could you and so what we do in the book and in the workshops and the process is just explore all of that figure out what is the single daily action what is the state of being that people need to lean into and then use affirmations and vision work and spaced repetition to learn to believe in that and Absolutely. when when you believe in the single daily action, when you move your identity, you know, take fitness, for example. It's just, it's such a perfect, and you know, I've been like this my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm like this, my eating identity sounds like this. I'm hungry, I'm busy, I got a lot of entertaining to do, then I'm just gonna eat whatever I feel like eating. That's my identity. When I'm fit, my identity sounds like my priority is eating fresh and clean. That's who I am. You know, sometimes I've been a vegetarian. And the cool thing about that label is when you decide you're a vegetarian, it shapes what you eat, right? So a vegetarian mm -hmm. doesn't order the T-bone. Now, unfortunately, a vegetarian can order all kinds of pasta and fat stuff, so it's not necessarily a fitness decision, but right, right. it's well, an identity. Exactly, and w you have given us so much information today, so many knowledge nuggets, and I just so appreciate that. Believe it or not, we are running out of time. 
And I would love to just sit here and talk to you all day and ask you these questions and just really dive even deeper. I mean, I'm fortunate that I even get this high level, you know, with an author such as yourself, because this is just, this is, this is good stuff for life. But I definitely want to ask you this one last question. If you could answer it for us quickly, and then we'll move on to our VIP questions. What advice yep. can you share to help people maintain their self-motivation for life? Well, the quickest solution I would say is to dedicate even five minutes a day, mm. 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day to listening to voices of inspiration. So most of us, you know, we spend a lot of time listening to ourselves. And if we're not on fire, then we're our number one motivational, non-motivational coach. And so we did that's just a slippery slope, right? And then the second most frequent people we listen to are usually family, friends, and coworkers. And they're not always our biggest cheerleader. And so take responsibility for surrounding yourself with voices of inspiration, which would be authors, speakers, messages, that are wind beneath your wings. And even if you did five minutes a day, it would make a remarkable difference in your attitude and your, your direction. That is some good stuff right there. And I, you know, I think I do it intuitively. I, you know, I have to have like my podcast in the morning and I'm really careful about what I listen to because I definitely want to make sure that it motivates me and that it gets me going. So I can, totally agree with everything that you've just said there um so are you ready for our vip questions this is where we get to have a little fun with you sure okay so if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on mars what three things or people would you take with you well i'd take my wife <laughs> <laughs> I don't always get that answer, just believe it or not. <laughs> she wouldn't go though, and I don't think she'd <laughs> want to go to Mars. Um, I would take my wife, three things, three people. She's the only person I would take with me. Um, uh, the second thing I would take, I, I want to take my laptop so I could um, do email. Cause I like, I like, <laughs> I like staying in communication with people. <laughs> and the last thing I would take, if I could take anything is I, I would take, and I'm just triggered on this because I saw they flew a little helicopter. Um, I would take, a, a really nice turbine helicopter or whatever would function around Mars. I am a helicopter pilot. And so that would be a great deal of fun. That way you could go sightseeing. Yep. On Mars. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I like that you said you would take your wife, but she wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't. No beaches on Mars, I don't think. And I think you may have already answered this, but I'm going to ask you the question again, just so it give you a chance if you want to change your mind or whatever. But what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I Before I get out of bed in the morning, I spend... Um, yeah, it could be 10 minutes, could be 20 minutes visualizing myself being and doing 
what I need to be and what I need to do to make progress. So part of it would be visualizing the end game. So, okay, what does it look like when I arrive? But the challenge with locking in on that is we're never satisfied with a destination. The real juice is in the journey. And so I spend most of my visualization, visualization time visualizing me successfully in the journey. And that, that might be, what do I need to do today? Who do I need to be today? How do I need to be today? Uh, might be some problem solving. Um, where do I need to grow? That's the most productive time for me early in the morning. Once I get out of bed, life hits me like everybody else. And so it's that quiet time. And I love how you said that because I'm, when I work with my clients, you know, um, I try to share with them or at least hold space so that they know that, you know, each step of the journey, I mean, if we're getting to the end goal, the end goal is we're all going to die, right? Yeah. It to be morbid, yeah. but that's the end goal. And so enjoy the journey every step of the way. But I like the way you said it, the juice is in the journey. I may start using that. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> Not at all. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. <laughs> Isn't that what it all is? It's just kind of like, kind of just a little bit changed up, but then you, ha you make it your own and then it moves on and it resonates with people. So my final question is if your life's, um, if, if your life's, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Um, wow, that's a tough one. Um, what comes to mind is a part of my life purpose. So my life purpose is, uh, to inspire people to play full out. And so even though it doesn't make for a very good newspaper headline, what comes to mind is he inspired people to play full out. I don't think there's anything in the world wrong with that. I like it. So. <laughs> So tell us, how do people find you? Um, well, if, if you want me and not Brooke Richards, just type in <laughs> Richard. <laughs> Perhaps do this at home first, just to be sure. <laughs> yeah, she's old now, so I don't think she uh, carries any weight. I'm easy to find richardbrook.com, B-R-O-O-K-E. That's my website. That's a good way to get me rb at richardbrook.com is a good way to email me and on social media on all of the channels i'm richard bliss brook awesome thank you thank you thank you so much for your time today this has been amazing and you know i do hope we'll keep in touch because i'd love to have further conversations with you about the book and just all the good stuff but for today i have one last thing to say to you you are a VIP. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm honored. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com. <laughs>